1: Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, hello everybody. I am recording on a Friday morning because there was one extra story that I wanted to add that I saw last night when I was at work and I knew there would be no time for me to be able to do the research and record all last night without me sounding like an absolutely tired monster. (laughs) So, before I start the show, I wanted to give a big, big thank you to everybody who has had such a lovely response both to last week's episode with Jess. I've had so many people reach out to me and leave comments on the Instagram post saying how much they enjoyed both the content we were discussing and Jess herself. I am a huge fan of Miss Jess myself, so I'm really glad that you all enjoyed our conversation as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. And I also wanted to just give a big thank you there was a re- a review this week that was just so heartwarming to me, and it just it really helped my self esteem, which I know is not the point of these reviews, but it was just so nice of you all. And so, for just a moment of vulnerability, I wanted to say thank you and how much you've all been encouraging me to continue doing this on my own and continuing to support me while I look for you know either a new co host or sidekick or someone to be with me that I can conversate with, um, and. I had this fear for the whole time that Keegan and I were doing the show that you all secretly liked her more than me, and you wouldn't want to listen to the show without her. I always felt like Keegan was able to say things so eloquently and perfectly that she would be able to take the words right out of my mouth. And so I had a lot of insecurities about my capabilities of doing this on my own, and I still do sometimes when I'm getting ready for these episodes, hoping that as I'm recording that I'm not just speaking into a microphone into the void and no one's going to listen or enjoy it So the fact that somebody reached out and really made a point to say that they were happy that I was continuing the show on my own, and that they feel that I've been doing a good job meant so much to me. I got another message from a listener saying that they've seen, you know, my growth in the past few months being by myself. And I definitely feel like my comfortability and communication style being by myself has definitely improved over the last few months. So the fact that that's being recognized makes me feel really, really good. So I just wanted to take some time before we get into, you know, the news stories today to just say a really big thank you and to express my unbelievable love for each and every one of you that listens and i love when you reach out to me i love talking with you all i've had some really great conversations actually this week with listeners and i wasn't able to do any more you know sleuth work on this so i'm not going to talk about it in this episode but i had someone reach out to me this past week who actually went to school with Annabelle Rockwell, the woman that I talked about on last week's news episode who was on Tucker Carlson, whose parents deprogrammed her – Back into being this conservative person or whatever after going to an all women's more liberal college, and it was very interesting to kind of get the dirt on that person a little bit. I'm not going to share it publicly though because I don't want to dox this person entirely. But um, you know, I I really just I love the relationships that I build with all of you. So thank you, thank you so much. I truly could not and wouldn't do the show without you. Without you, I'd be like, mm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna walk away and have a few, I'm gonna have 30 extra hours in a week to do whatever I wanna do. But I truly do love doing this so much and the fact that you enjoy the content that I'm putting out for all of you and that you're learning along with me is the only thing that I ever want in the world. So I'm done being sappy. Let's get into some news stories. And the one I wanna start with is actually the topic that I wrote about last meg actually from last week reached out to me and made a point that i was aware that this was going on and i'm very glad that she did so iran has officially executed its first protester they executed a man named mosen shikari for injuring a parliamentary officer and he was reportedly convicted on quote waging war with god for what he did he was sentenced to death on October 23rd and he was executed by hanging on Thursday morning, December 8th. It is said that Mohsen was executed without any due process or access to a lawyer, and his trial is being called a show by the Revolutionary Court. A nonprofit group called Iran Human Rights released a statement saying, quote, His execution must be met with the strongest possible terms and international reactions. Otherwise, we will be facing daily executions of protesters who are protesting for their fundamental human rights. And now, as individuals listening to this show, I'm sure it's really overwhelming because we don't have the power individually to make a change all the way over in Iran. And when I read these stories, that's really how I feel. I feel really helpless. And they're saying that we need to make a lot of noise and get an international reaction. And when we read that, we feel like it's really our own personal responsibility to do so. But luckily, I have a platform where lots of people listen to me all the time. So while I'm talking about this story, I would love for all of you to pull out your phones, Google an image of Masen Shikari, and post it to any of your social media so that at least every single person that you follow is aware that someone has been unfairly executed in Iran for defending human rights. Iran's former president is urging the government to be more lenient with the protesters and said that they must listen to the demonstrators before it's too late. And though I think this is exactly what the Iranian government should be doing, I don't think that there is much hope for them to suddenly be like, oh, yes, let's let's stop and listen to the protesters side of things. And let's have a cordial conversation about how our problems can be solved. It doesn't seem like that's the route that they want to take, in my opinion. And like I said, this will not be the last execution unless something serious happens to change its course. According to Amnesty International, as of November, Iranian authorities are seeking the death penalty of at least 21 people in connection with the protests, and at least 458 people have already lost their lives in the unrest since September. So while we are all but one person, if every single one of us shares Mohsen's face and talks about this with our friends, I truly think that it can make some semblance of a difference. We need to be as loud as we can about what is going on because we cannot sit back and watch these brave, brave people who have stood up to the Iranian government be killed off. Another one of the biggest stories of the week was that WNBA star Brittany Griner has finally been released from Russian detention as of Thursday morning. Biden said at the White House alongside Britney's wife, Sherelle, that, quote, she's safe, she's on a plane, she's on her way home. After months of being unjustly detained in Russia, held under intolerable circumstances, Brittany will soon be back in the arms of her loved ones, and she should have been there all along. And you all know my Wizard of Oz-obsessed brain. When I read that quote for the first time, it seemed very Glinda-esque to me. It sounded very, you've always had the power to me, although we haven't had the power to bring her home until today. And I am so unbelievably thankful. I I don't know if I've actually discussed it on the show or if I've just taken notes about it and the story wasn't able to be brought up, but the story of Brittany Griner is something that I have been following since her arrest, and I have... So many feelings about it. As I'm talking about it, I am kind of recalling discussing it on the show. While I think it was her responsibility to know whether or not there were weed cartridges in her luggage going into Russia, a place that is known to not be cool with that sort of thing, I definitely think that that is her responsibility in a way. But I also very, 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 very much disagree with her treatment, her imprisonment, her sentence, especially because that's not an offense in the United States. Everybody was kind of like, what the fuck? Like, what is the big deal? And really, the timing of her arrest was so terrible because I believe, and I didn't write this down, it happened like the same day that they attacked Ukraine, or like the day before. So this was right before a huge upheaval in Russia that she was arrested. I truly believe that a lot of her treatment was in order to set an example to Western society and to America. And that's why we had to fight so hard to bring her home. So while I am jumping up and down with excitement for Brittany and her family and for all of her teammates and friends and loved ones that they are finally getting her back into their lives, there's some problematic shit surrounding all of it that I think is important for us to talk about. Not with Brittany herself. No worries. No, no, no. Just having to do with how we got her released and so on and so forth. We did a bit of a trade. So in order to bring Brittany home, the... United States released Victor Boot, who is a Russian arms dealer who's been nicknamed the Merchant of Death, from prison. And also there is another American person still imprisoned in Russia by the name of Paul Whelan. And I want to talk about both of those things. So in regards to Paul Whelan, President Biden said, quote, This was not a choice of which American to bring home. Sadly, for totally illegitimate reasons, Russia is treating Paul's case differently than Britney's. And while we have not yet succeeded in securing Paul's release, we are not giving up. We will never give up. So you all know that I have ESPN and SportsCenter on in my house all the time because of my boyfriend, Max. And they do talk about some new stuff every once in a while, especially when it has to do with athletes. So, of course, there was a very big segment about Brittany Griner yesterday, and I watched it, and it was actually really, really well done for a sports channel newscast. And um, my closed captions kept covering the name of the person that was speaking, but it was somebody that was very close to Brittany in her life, not her wife. But um, somebody else who was a good friend or a supporter of hers, and they were discussing the fact that they have become friends and close with Paul Whelan's family and how they've really been supporting each other through all of this. And the fact that he is being remembered by Brittany Griner's side, I think, is such... A wonderful thing. And the newscasters on the show, whatever I was watching, also really made a point to talk about Paul Whelan as well and the fact that we do have another American citizen that is unfairly imprisoned in Russia. So let's talk a little bit about who Paul Whelan is just to get a little bit of background and context. Paul was born in 1970 in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada to British parents. So he has like triple citizenship, I believe, to the US, Canada, and the UK. He entered the Marine Corps in 1994. He is a major Trumper and also a big fan of the country of Russia. He's been there many, many times from 2006 onward and had a presence on a Russian language social media website where he had approximately 70 contacts. When Trump won the election in 2016, he tweeted a congratulations in All Russian as well. On December 28th, 2018, Paul was arrested in Moscow by the Russian Federal Security Service. Paul's twin brother David has stated that Paul was in Russia to attend the wedding of a friend and former fellow Marine, and he was acting as a sort of tour guide for guests who had never been to the country before because he knows it so well and he could show them around. This seems super weird, but okay... Paul was detained on espionage charges, which he has consistently and vehemently denied ever since. He was convicted to 16 years in Russian prison in June 2020 in a trial that U.S. officials have called unfair. Now, this is interesting because I feel like, especially because there was, we know, collusion in our 2016 election between Russia and Donald Trump, it's interesting to me that I learned that he was a Trumper, because I think that you would think that the Trump people would be less likely to be spies than maybe like someone like me going over to Russia. I don't know, but... Either way, he was arrested, he has been detained ever since, and hopefully there is going to be more work to be done in order to bring him home, but maybe because it was an espionage charge and not a drug charge, that that might be why Biden is discussing that there are different circumstances for the release of Paul Whelan, but either way... It's important to keep him in mind, even though he is a Trump supporter, which I hate that fact, but we need to bring him home. His unfair treatment in Russia is not okay. (laughs) He does not deserve that. And I am so glad that Griner's supporters are not forgetting that as well. Now let's talk about Victor Boot. So it's spelled bout. So if I accidentally say bout at any point, that's why. But I guess it's pronounced boot. He's a former Soviet military officer who was serving a 25-year prison sentence in the U.S. on charges of conspiring to kill Americans, acquire and export anti-aircraft missiles, and provide material support to a terrorist organization. He was caught after agreeing to sell anti-aircraft weapons to drug enforcement informants who were undercover as arms buyers. He got into the arms dealing business as the Soviet Union broke apart and Russia's economy collapsed. And that is when his shipping empire began to deliver guns to rebels, militants, and terrorists around the world. He's been accused of selling weapons to Al Qaeda, the Taliban, and militants in Rwanda. And this guy has evaded capture for years. In 1995, the Taliban forced down one of his planes in Afghanistan and seized the crew, but Russian officials were somehow able to get the crew out of the country that time, or he also states that he was able to escape somehow. So this guy was really able to evade capture by many different groups for a very long period of time. U.S. authorities caught up with him in Bangkok in 2008 when they were being undercover as Colombian rebels, and then he was convicted in 2011. He is now being released after serving less than half of his 25-year prison sentence. And Russian officials have been working on this release since his conviction 11 years ago. And that's kind of why Americans are like, well, this guy must be someone really important if Russia is trying this hard to get this guy back into the country. The U.S. Attorney General at the time of his capture called him, quote, one of the world's most prolific arms dealers. He became notorious amongst American intelligence officials and, like I mentioned earlier, was given the nickname The Merchant of Death. His crimes even inspired a film starring Nicolas Cage entitled Lord of War in 2005. So while we are all unbelievably happy to have Brittany back, it is terrifying to think of the man that is now released into the world, as well as the man who is still sitting waiting for his rescue. Okay, before I move on to our next topics, let's take a quick break.
0: And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm back. Okay, this was another listener-suggested topic, and I am so glad that it was brought to my attention because I truly learned a lot. And this is a very important story to discuss. On December 3, 2022, a shooting attack occurred at two electrical distribution substations located in Moore County, North Carolina. Damage from the attack left up to 40,000 residents without power. According to the authorities, a Duke Power Energy substation was severely damaged by gunfire. Gunfire was then later directed at another substation in West End, ultimately resulting in the loss of power to the majority of the county. Outrage began to break out just after 7 p.m. on December 4th, and as of December 7th, 45,000 homes lost their power. Duke Power told their customers about the significant damage to their equipment and informed them that it could take several days to repair. Can you imagine? I mean, this kind of reminds me of when Texas lost their power and Ted Cruz ran away, but I can't imagine having to be freezing cold, with no entertainment, for no way to keep my food fresh, I would be the most obnoxious human being to be around for those days without power, and I might end up dead from somebody killing me from being too annoying. The North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and police departments from all 11 municipalities in Moore County are participating in the investigation into the attack. They have released that nearly two dozen shell casings were discovered, described as being from a, quote, high power rifle from the attack sites. Officials have described the attack as, quote, targeted and, quote, intentional, willful and malicious. Sheriff Ronnie Fields has said that whoever did this, quote, knew exactly what they were doing. So when the listener reached out to me and many other people online have been wondering this as well, They have been questioning whether or not the attack was tied to a drag show that was happening in the county since the power went out during the show. I read somewhere that the people in the audience lit their flashlights on their phones and the drag queens sang their last song without microphones and although that sounds really adorable, it would be terrible if it was done intentionally in a way for violence to be able to be carried out more easily. Now, investigators have no evidence to connect the attacks to the drag show at the theater in the county, but the timing of the two events have been added context in the growing fears and tensions in the LGBTQ plus community, which is totally valid. Investigators are apparently thinking of two motives. Either it was related to LGBTQ plus hate activity, and the other is that it was perpetrated by extremists. And this kind of seems like it would probably be both at the same time if that was the case and the reason that they're tying this work to extremists is because there was writing found online encouraging attacks on critical infrastructure apparently this has been a thing for a couple of years where there are these online threads about destroying infrastructure and using these high power rifles to do it They've urged their followers to attack critical infrastructure, including power grids, and have posted documents and instructions outlining vulnerabilities. In 2013, a sniper attack occurred on a high-voltage substation at the edge of Silicon Valley, destroying 17 transformers and cost Pacific Gas and Electric $15 million in repairs. In this instance, the shooter fired more than 100 bullets in 20 minutes and disappeared before the police arrived. This case remains unsolved. In Moore County, schools were closed until Thursday, many stores and restaurants were shut down, and homes were without heating or working refrigerators, and drivers were even crossing intersections without traffic lights. The Red Cross came in and set up in Moore County to help provide shelter, food, showers, and other services to the people impacted by the power outages. Some residents needed them for help because they couldn't use their electricity-powered medical equipment. Others came for warmth as the temperatures in their homes dropped below freezing. Some have been out of work due to their companies losing power. Now, on Thursday morning, CNN reported that a number of reported threats to power infrastructure are under investigation. Even before the attack on Saturday in North Carolina, at least five other electricity substations in Oregon and Washington have been attacked in November. In Oregon, a substation in Clackamas was damaged in a, quote, deliberate physical attack over Thanksgiving weekend. In Washington state, there were two incidents that occurred in November at two different substations. Then two others were vandalized in another area of Washington state in mid-November. So this is clearly some sort of new tactic in order to release their extremist messages. And I just think it's incredibly stupid. Um, because you're just, you're making a bunch of people really, really, really uncomfortable without really getting your message known if this is the work by extremists. Um, besides the evidence that they have found of some extremist writing and things like that, it's not very clear what they are trying to accomplish by cutting the power out everywhere, And I am hoping that this doesn't continue to go on. I hope that with these investigations, the people are caught and this can be taken care of. But I want to say thank you to the listener to reaching out to me and letting me know that this was going on because I was not aware and now I am and I'm very glad that I am. All right, the last story today is a bit of good news. Raphael Warnock has officially won the Senate in Georgia, leaving the Democrats with the 51st Senate seat. Woo! The Democrats now have an outright majority in the Senate, which is now split 51-49, which means they will no longer have to negotiate a power-sharing agreement with Republicans to form a functioning Senate. They will also have majority in committees, easing the way for legislation and nominees to make it to the full chamber floor. Apparently, this Democratic leadership could also create more leeway for Democratic for the Democratic caucus, which includes progressive candidates like Bernie Sanders. Now, do I think we should be nominating Bernie Sanders for president for 2024? No, I do not. He is just as old as Joe Biden. We do not need old men as our presidents. But this all seems like a major boost going into 2024. According to The Atlantic, Senator Warnock's win in the December 6th Georgia runoff showed a, quote, strength by Democrats in the states that denied the 2020 race for the White House and will likely pick the winner again in 2024. With Warnock's victory, Democrats have defeated every GOP candidate supported by ex-President Trump. Five states have flipped from supporting him to supporting Democrats from 2016 to 2020. And those states include Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, and Arizona. Way to go, states. Of those five states, Republicans have performed best in Georgia still, where they won every other statewide office. And even though Warnock won, Walker was way too close for comfort in the final numbers. It was the Democrat strength in the metropolitan areas that provided Warnock with the votes needed to win, while the rural areas of Georgia are still showing a strong preference for Walker. In the Atlantic article I read, it said, quote, That Walker came as close as he did to winning underscores the growing parliamentary nature of House and Senate elections, in which fewer voters are casting their ballots based on personal assessments of the two candidates, and more are deciding based on which party they want to control the national agenda. And I think that we are all guilty of this. I think that, you know, I didn't vote for Joe Biden because I thought he was going to be the best president. Well, he was going to be better than Donald Trump. That's why I voted for him. You know what I mean? I think that we've had to kind of just be really uh, supportive of our party over the person for the last, you know, six years or so. And it's disheartening to think that rather than just choosing the best person for the job. But hopefully, as we move forward and more people are starting to distance themselves from Donald Trump, you know, there is Ron DeSantis and many other people that will take his place, I'm sure. But I'm hoping that this cult of Trump will start to evaporate and break. And hopefully we can one day get back to a more peaceful political world. But maybe I'm just dreaming. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to another mini episode. I hope you enjoyed the stories that I had for you this week. If you have anything that you want me to cover next week, I really, really would love to hear your topic suggestions because sometimes you guys, because sometimes y'all know of things that I have no idea about. So please email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. Or DM me on the Instagram page at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. If you want to follow my personal Instagram page, be my guest. It's at She's Madigan, She's M A D I G A N. The show has a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review the show on the business page and chat with the other listeners in the group page. Last but certainly not least, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, your reviews don't only mean so much to me personally, but they also mean a lot to me as a business, especially right now as I am working very hard to transition the show into something new, I also want to help it continue to grow. So if people look it up and they want to see if maybe they want to give an episode a listen, it's your reviews that helps them know whether or not they want to give me a chance. So if you haven't left a review, please go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. You can also rate the show on Spotify, which is a huge help as well. All right. That's everything I have for you today. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rate on. Bye.
0: If you had the chance to sit down and speak with the smartest robot in the world, would you spark hunter a new fighter steel production presented by realm explores what that kind of conversation might look like it's 2044 the world's most advanced ai has gone rogue and only her maker knows the true danger she poses to the world when they meet over dinner the nsa and the president are listening in and sharpshooters are in position the robot is having a dark existential crisis to protect his deep secret Did her brilliant maker create the problem that now threatens the world? A conflict-filled psychological thriller set in the near future, Spark Hunter pits a beautiful robot that's becoming more intelligent, more human, and more difficult to control against the institutions who are determined to decommission her. It's a creative take on the real questions our world has about advancements in artificial intelligence and features a star-studded cast, including Mark Rylance, Rebecca Ferguson, Elliot Sumner, Vanessa Redgrave, and Richard E. Grant, with Charles Dance and Sting. Listen and subscribe to Spark Hunter wherever you get your podcasts, or visit realm.fm for more information.